Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corbin Peller. Oh, a small amount of energy from the large stoic man. It must be Wednesday. It is. <laughs> Clinical uh, depression. Woo, woo. Yeah. You only hear it for the sad folks in the back. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, life sucks. And oh, they I dropped my phone off my bed. Ugh. Life's a bitch and then you die. That's anyway. why we get high, because you never know when you're going to go. Yeah, that, uh, as like a 13-year-old, that song was great because it was catchy. catchy. Yeah. Uh, as a 23-year-old, that song is great because it makes me feel things. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, it is uh, 6.30 here on the East Coast. It is uh, Wednesday, June 23rd. Time, time, time has not regained its... Uh, presence in my mind oh that accidentally rhymed i didn't mean it to i'm sorry uh <laughs> i apologize for that incidental rhyme um yeah i have not recovered from pandemic time yet anyway dude it's been like a year and a half yeah i know and uh like my my work is talking about all employees being back in september which is a mere two and a half months away and i'm not prepared for that um, fu- no. fu- fuck it if I must say so um, and also no, fuck the five day work week I'm not ready to go back to in the office five days a week but that's not what we're here to talk about uh, instead there's been uh, plenty of shit going on in the world of baseball uh, Corbin you had a finger up what were you thinking do you know of anywhere that doesn't have a five day work week um, I don't know Okay. If anyone I know does some, know, I know some companies don't, please let but me not know. like places. I don't want to work for that company. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, anyway, so before we we truly get all up in baseball biz, uh, one of the biggest uh, happenings in sports happened in the world of the NFL, um, and that is that Carl Nassib, in an Instagram post earlier this week came out as gay, making him the first active player in the NFL to be openly homosexual, which is huge um, in a wonderful and and great way. Uh, Corwin, since Carl Nassib, who, as I said before we started recording, I always want to pronounce Nassib, and I always think he's black for that reason, and then am constantly reminded that he is white <laughs> when I see his face. Um since he is a former Penn Stater, what uh, give me some insight as to as to Carl Nassib, the Nassib, the guy, and uh, what you think about his announcement? Um, I mean, I don't think anyone. There was no like, oh, like it's a well-known secret. Like it's no one He's had the any James idea. James Buchanan coming. of defensive ends, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I completely forgot about that even being a thing, and I, I think I've only ever heard it once. So, history whatever. nerds, yeah, yeah bitches. Um, but yeah, no, he was. Uh, oh, Josh is frozen. I don't know if he can hear me. I can hear you. I'm just gonna sit here and wait. I can. I'm not frozen on my own. I can hear you, bitch. I. Uh, I. Uh, I got a snap of 
the face that you were making when you froze. And uh, boy, it's a good one. I'll send it to you later. Um, but Carl Nassib, not Nassib, um, came out of nowhere, walker kind of player as a, as a senior, had 19 and a half tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks, led the entire nation in sacks, was a consensus All-American, uh, won the Ronnie Lott Impact Trophy, the 10 Hedricks Award, and the Vince Lombardi Award, uh, on top of being the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Had a spectacular season that just kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, his sophomore and junior seasons, he had two and two and a half uh, tackles for loss and one sack each. Um, so it was definitely something that just kind of blew up. Drafted in the third round by Cleveland. Uh, didn't do much there. Was behind, who was that? Olivier Vernon and Emmanuel Ogba? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, but he's one of those guys who's a really good rotational pass rusher, you know, a depth guy, um, a high end depth guy. Um, he's going to be what behind Max Crosby and I forget who they have on the other side, but regardless, Oh, they have a uh, Yannick Nagakwe, I think now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'll be a, a great number three outside linebacker for them. Uh, defensive end. Um, but uh, yeah, great guy. Never heard a negative thing about him until this happened and people became assholes um but otherwise uh love the player love the guy um happy as hell for him for being able to uh stand up to this and uh really make a difference i've heard in the wake of this a few former players the names of which are escaping me because there's been a lot of player names you know kicked around um in the wake of this that have said that you know like i played with a bunch of dudes who were gay during my time in the NFL, but I mean, never came out and said anything about it even after their careers ended. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's, there's a large stigma there as um, I think as any, as a human um, and also as an athlete where it's a very toxically masculine environment, depending on where you come from, what sport you play, where you played it. Um, and I think football being very representative of, of at least a lot of those thoughts, you know, biases, kind of, kind of, um, ideas. And so to see anybody, and you know, it doesn't matter if it was some low level practice squad guy, it wouldn't matter if it was, um, Aaron Rodgers, which would honestly at this point be kind of hilarious because he can't hold down a relationship to save his life. He's uh, engaged. I know, which is why it would honestly yeah, be kind yeah. of funny. Um, yeah, just because it's like, wow, you're just giving up on women entirely. You couldn't get handle none. You couldn't <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, does it like it doesn't like the status of the player doesn't matter. It's the fact that someone within the sport uh, and just happened to be someone that has you know. A relatively recognizable name in Nassib uh, had really the you know the the strength to do something like this to to be be who he is in in a very public eye and to do it during Pride Month is amazing um, and man it's just it feels like because the circles i guess you know like you and i run in that it shouldn't be that big of a deal for someone to come out as gay but there's a lot of parts of society that football touch 
that Corwin and I, at least, or at least me within our bubbles really don't touch um, that where that is a big shockwave. And there's people that live in those communities that are probably, you know, very well could be cut off from a lot of um, pride representation, gay, LGBTQIA plus representation that get to see this. And, you know, it might spark some conversations within their community, which will, you know, depending on the people, probably not be super stellar, but the conversation nonetheless, and it normalizes the idea that there are gay people who can be athletes, which again, feels like a wacky statement. Um, but at the same time, wacky because it seems so obvious it, to guys like Corwin and I, but mm-hmm. um, means a lot. It means a lot to other people. And, you know, it would be good to see, um, especially men's sports where it's so much of a thing uh hopefully more players at, at earlier stages in their careers come out, uh, be who they are and, you know, gain an understanding that, uh, holy fuck, it, it really, it, it doesn't change a thing. Um, it's just people being people and some people like dudes, man. And that's fucking it like that. That's it. Um, again, seemingly an obvious point to the two of us. And if you've made it this far in the podcast then probably to you too, um, but it, you know, this type of stuff matters just oh so much and uh, nothing but love for Carl Nassib for um, making the donation to the Trevor Project that he announced and just kind mm-hmm. of making this a, a public, uh, making this public statement. Yeah, congratulations and uh, power to you. But, you know, we're going to support you all the way. Yeah, you know, it's it's such a wacky thing because outing himself genuinely does. He didn't have to he genuinely could have gone his entire life and done the fucking like Marlon Brando thing where like, yeah, everyone like knows you're gay, but no one's, you know, it's never been like fully public acknowledged. So I guess we're just not going to talk about it. Um, and instead he decided to do this and you know, this doing this takes a lot of guts. He really genuinely didn't have to. Um, and that's what makes it such a wonderful thing. So nothing but respect. Mm-hmm. Also, this is the first time you're hearing that Marlon Brando was gay. Google that shit, bitch. He was. Dude, dude sucks. Just big old dicks. Same thing with Richard Pryor. Marlon Brando, fuck Richard Pryor. Straight at the butt. Google that shit. Not if yeah. you're at work. Don't do no, that. No, Google that. Google that on your worker school laptop using your worker school internet, and let the world, let the IT department at your school or work know. That Marlon Brando fuck Richard Pryor in the ass. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I sit Don't and record this on my personal laptop as I'm looking next to me at my work laptop and realizing I made a good choice today. Yeah, yeah. Anytime choice. you talk to me over the internet, you made a good choice when you, uh, well, one, in general, and two, when you use your personal computer and not your uh, work one. So I'm going to edit this one. video so that there's a Chris Hansen head just like popping in here and just like. If it's popping in on your screen. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You naughty boy. Uh, damn. Oh, speaking of sticky situations. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the MLB. That's the that's like the most professional segue like most professional thing we've ever done yes yeah that was scripted i wish um 
God, it'd be great if I could write down some thoughts ahead of time as well as I could do them off the cuff. But anyway, um, so a video from last night, as you've listened to this Tuesday night's um, Nationals game has been making the rounds as Max Scherzer was dealing against the Philadelphia Phillies and Joseph Girardi took exception to it, um, forcing him to be uh, inspected for if foreign substances twice during the game and then while getting tossed, apparently demanded a third inspection. Now, the again, we're bringing up sticky stuff for what feels like the fourth or fifth time in a row, and we said we would only do it during updates, but again, MLB has been making these changes very fast, and last night was an example of that because apparently the way they're doing it is that managers of opposing teams can ask umps to in look at the opposing pitcher for foreign substances um, just during games. And I think according to the rule book, it said that you could do it. Uh, it had to be done. I should say at least twice for starters and at least once per uh, reliever, which is, if you think about it, a fuck ton of game stoppages. I mean, MLB cut down on mound visits because they were too much for the game, limiting it, limiting it at six. And if you have, uh, you know, two stars on each side that go seven innings, um, and then two relievers, which is best case scenario for every team, um, that's six people right there on top of how many mountain visits are already happening. That's going to slow down your game. So it seems like a horrible idea from the jump, but we'll get into that in a second, I guess. Um, the reason that Max Scherzer's video went so viral within the MLB community and, and so much so that it touched the outskirts of it, in addition to a lovely Sergio Romo presentation where he um, uh, hanged nuts uh, for a, an ump. Essentially. Um, more or less. He didn't get to see any of the family jewels, but you could feel their presence. <laughs> um is that, you know, it, he it got quite heated, led to Joe Girardi eventually leaving the um, dugout to make a statement uh, hotly to Scherzer. Scherzer made some comments back to Joe Girardi. It was not a presentation you might see at your local Elks Lodge, but it was uh, it was it was certainly entertainment. Um, I guess, Corwin, what do you think of this specific incident and largely the rule or the implementation strategy at hand. It, it has to be the implementation strategy. Like you can rationalize and you can get behind needing to cut down usage like this, needing to, you know, police the game, needing to kind of go about finding a solution to this and doing so. But the way that, the game is just coming to a screeching halt and clearly just aggravating the piss and frustrating the piss out of all these different pitchers. Yeah, I totally get it. It's, um, it's, it's a nightmare and it sucks to sit through and watch. Like it hasn't been bad because it's been a day. And at, at this point it's kind of exciting just to see what's going to happen. But I think we can all, you know, if you see it that way, I think we can all agree that we know that's not going to last. Um, no, apparently MLB made uh, some change to it already. I'm actually going to go try to find the um, tweet I saw about it while I'm thinking about it. But either way, uh, what do you th- what do you think about this particular incident involving Scherzer and Girardi? 
what like what the fuck is up with Joe Girardi, man? Like what did Max Scherzer do to kind of like in my mind, Max Scherzer didn't really bring any of this on himself. Like, yeah, he pitched well. Okay. You want to check him for substances. Okay. He just was. You already know he's not using it. All right. That in itself is one argument. Joe Girardi coming out and trying to start a fight because one of the, you know, most hot headed guys in the league is upset and you need to show how tough you are by going out and trying to fight a fucking player. Get over yourself. I, all right, everyone, if you're listening at home, put on your tinfoil hats. It's conspiracy theory time because Girardi demanding three. And mind you, Max Scherzer only pitched five innings. So it's not like he pitched a complete game where like this was like once every three innings. Girardi demanded three inspections within five innings. So that being the case, I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely wonder if Girardi and Scherzer chatted before the game and were like, this is fucking stupid. This was this is not a way to conduct business. And here is the most obvious flaw with this, which is a manager could just demand a starting pitcher be inspected between every single inning for the entire game and fuck up his warm-up pitches or his routine or whatever, because it's not televised, but between innings, the starting pitcher will go on the mound and, you know, throw some warm-up pitches so that you're not cold from just sitting on the dugout in the dugout. Um, Because three and Girardi is a hot headed dude. I'm not trying to excuse this from Girardi. I'm, I, and trying to find a more rational explanation for it only because eh, it's more fun if I have one. Um, and this is a fun one, but either way, obviously that's not what should happen, but it's, it seems day one, the most obvious flaw with this thing gets shown. You know what I mean? Like Sergio Romo's was a one-off, you know, um, yeah. uh, Jacob de Grom's was a one-off yesterday. Scherzer got it three times and it, I, it, I really have to wonder if this wasn't a little bit of performance art because it just seems too perfect for the, from the player's perspective of showing MLB why this is such a stupid way of doing this. But again, the tinfoil hat was on for that one. I don't think it was because I truly think that it was purely just Girardi trying to fuck with Max Scherzer just trying it, to get Ed trying to mess with him I don't think Scherzer was in on it would it not be wonderful though if it was a Andy Kaufman Jerry Lawler situation sure why not read a book read a book I know who Andy Kaufman is I'm just saying it I don't give a shit <laughs> Damn Performance man. art by Joe Girardi is not what makes me want to watch baseball. No, but you got to admit, if there was more of it, I might, depending on what that was. But who's to say? Uh, Joe Kelly also asked to be inspected yesterday um, because he thought his goggles were really cool. Apparently, he col- called over the umps and were like, you should check out these goggles because they're pretty sick. Um, <laughs> and then took off his goggles and showed them to the umps. So that's fun. Now need to Google Joe Kelly's goggles. All right. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> so that's that. Now, in terms of this rule, I think it could not have been more obvious that that is not the way to do it because I don't know what MLB would want out of that situation. Let's assume... Because first of all, that's already a thing. If you think that the opposing team is in an obvious way using pine tar, a la the Michael Pineda game, um, you can just be like, hey, can you go look at that pine tar? And then they'll go, oh, yeah. And then they'll do it. Like, it, it doesn't need – it didn't need an expansion on that to work. Instead, what I think would make more sense is having um, check a pitcher's gear before – the, his first inning of work and then after his last inning of work. Because theoretically, if you check beforehand and there is pine tar, then you either suspend the, you know, tell him you can't make a start and then issue a suspension right there, done, or tell him to change out that piece of gear to something that you inspect and then come to find to be clean. Dealer's choice. I don't really give a shit. Um, whatever. I don't, yeah, I couldn't think about it right now anyway. Or two, everything's clear. He goes out and pitches. You check after the performance to find either one, nothing, in which case, cool shit, nothing, no harm done. Um, or two, you find something with pine tar on it, and then you make the very logical conclusion that, hey, he didn't have anything on him when we started. He has something on him now. So clearly at some point, he applied this intentionally because it wasn't there when we started you're getting suspended for 10 games or whatever mm-hmm. it. And that goes for relievers too. That way you don't really interrupt much. You could send a fucking ump out into the bullpen before the um, uh, pitcher touches the mound, or you can do it after he walks out. It doesn't matter. And then afterwards, after he, you know, after the inning's done on, on his walk back to the bull, to mm-hmm. the, to the dugout, the way that like, there's way, cause I am team cracked down to some uh, extent, but the way that they, they, planned this out i mean fuck it's just stupid i agree wholeheartedly just it's does not it seems like they are overcompensating because of how like they're trying to make it seem like we're doing everything possible within our power to stop this and it's just it's an overcompensation and it, they're just going too far with it, and it's, once again, just making it worse. Uh, yeah, it is. And oh, MLB's sheer inability, and this is such an easy example of MLB making changes that it thinks are for the better and having large or some degree consequence that shows why their strategy, while may well being well-intentioned, was not the way to go about it and introduces a problem equal to or near to the one that they're mm-hmm. trying to solve. I, this is this is their thing. Changing the um, way that the ball is, again, in a season that they also told pitchers you can do whatever you want with foreign substances because we're not going to do anything to you led to two drastic um, differences that ultimately led to the exact opposite effect. One would think that they wanted, which was dramatically reduced offense. Um, And then they were like, Oh fuck, we have to now course correct. And their course corrections are also leading to a lot of 
disparate differences. So, what a fucking nightmare! Thanks, it MLB. Is, and you know, I am, uh, I, I'm really fucking sick about talking about sticky stuff. Gotta say, oh, it's completely. been too many episodes back to back. I'm fucking done, man. I want it to either reach a point where there's like a widespread action taken like whatever or i want something big to happen or i just want it to go away i'm sick of this just bullshit every single day right it's yeah it's too much uh it's it's not fun um mlb or or people around twitter are like posting pictures of players who are getting asked to have their stuff inspected and are taking it in good spirits like Degrom and show how tiny today but it's also like yeah, it's cool that they're like cool about it, but I mean, not everyone has to be cool with the stop and frisk. Like, let's just because they're smiling about it and being good natured about it doesn't mean that this is still a good way of doing any anything. Um, so maybe we should stop. But um, speaking of shit, that MLB should stop. They released a wacky image yesterday of a baseball moon, and we're like big news tomorrow and everyone speculated as to what the fuck it could be it's a moon it's baseball are they playing baseball on the moon are they playing baseball with moon shoes um who knows what's happening in this wild and wacky sport we love and today at noon mlb announced that they're getting into the cryptocurrency game and that was what the promotion was for. Uh, so apparently, as they tweeted out at noon today, um, the first 5,000 qualified fans who sign up using the code baseball will get $20 in their Blockfolio account, which is just a crypto management app. I So one would assume that the moon in reference is a... Um, social media term for uh, stocks and investments that gain equity very, very quickly. Mooning, um, not showing your ass, but things whose charts are accelerating so quickly, they are going to take off to the moon. Um, And boy, howdy, is this just fucking bizarre. And completely unneeded. Uh, I don't know what I expected. I don't know what I was hoping for. I don't know. It's just... I'm so sick of MLB just being so fucking old. Like, it, MLB as a company, as a organization is a 70-year-old white man. What the fuck? It, how can you not do this any better? Like, how are you so fucking bad at this so consistently? Yeah, and the, there's so many things that's wrong with it. Like, for one, oh my God, shut the fuck up. That's number one. No, Number two is you don't see them making this type of ad business hype ad thing granted it's it's rather small i understand that 
Um, it's not like they did like a big months long campaign for this. They did a promotional image the night before. I understand it, but you don't see this when, uh, I don't know, they announced their next partnership with fucking like Toyota or whatever. I don't remember this when they partnered with uh, Loan Depot or, or Camp World or whatever. So you have to wonder about the intentions of this and you have to wonder if MLB has any stake in Bitcoin and this is something in the way of a pump and dump, which, oh my God, would make so much sense and be super shitty, yeah. wouldn't it? Um, would you be surprised if it was? That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like you see MLB do this shit with fucking Bigelow T, you know? It's weird. It's very weird. And don't it's, like it. No, and it just. It sucks to see a corporation act like a corporation when its main form of business is not necessarily so corporate. And that especially falls in line with baseball. Everyone knows it's a business, but to see it so nakedly assert its business needs or its business dealings, especially mid-season, is very unappealing. Especially offering a partnership with financial services at a time when pay for minor leaguers has never been more central of an issue and could very well be a problem within the next CBA, who's, we mentioned last episode, whose negotiations would be starting relatively soon because it is up at the end of the season. So it's another reminder that like, oh no, you are incredibly out of touch. And if it were not for this one thing that you have, no one would be here. Yeah. And here we are. And here we are. And here we are. And uh, speaking of the one reason we do watch MLB, Corbin Heller, did you watch the debut of Wander Franco? Oh, you're goddamn right I did. And it was spectacular. (laughs) Oh, it's wildly impressive. Oh, it's spectacular. And it's spectacular. Oh, what a great show. Uh, That being said, Wander Franco, first at bat, first plate appearance. We'll make it work. We'll figure it out. Uh, Down 0-2 count, two foul balls, you know, was making contact. Proceeded to take three straight balls to get a walk on his first, you know, plate appearance. Was a very impressive, you know, at bat. Uh, Go on. Sorry, I went to Wander Franco's page on Baseball Reference because, you know, I wanted to just look at the one at bat. Um, And in his, not his one at bat, his, um, his one game. And because he had a good game, he managed to be worth in one game 0.2 war and baseball reference shows you their 162 game average and his 162 game average is 32.4 war which obviously is not going to hold up because he's not going to have um a home run and a double with three rbi and a walk um every game of his season but even for like a moment to see 32.4 32.4 projected war or extrapolated war is fucking hilarious. So yeah, I apologize for cutting awesome. you off, but it is very funny to see someone's war look like that in June. I mean, 
it also doesn't hurt that his OPS is two dot one. <laughs> and it's a, a four nineties or four seventy nine, excuse me, OPS plus. Yeah. That's Mike Trout level. Um, but that being said, goes up and gets a fucking home run in his third at bat, gets a double to follow it up. Dude had such a spectacular outing. I I called it, I tried calling it at least, saying he was gonna hit a home run in his, you know, first at bat. Not quite the case, but he did come through. Um in the third gave Josh a little uh ball break on Twitter. It was nice. I had fun. We enjoyed ourselves. But by all means, he made some really nice defensive plays, you know, had one that he almost made but wasn't quite there in time. Um but at the end of the day, spectacular uh debut. Um are you at all interested in the fact that he was playing third base instead of shortstop? Um no, I kind of figured at some point, you know, he would be moved around a fair bit. Um, looking at their lineup yesterday and watching the game, they had a very, I forget the guy's name, something Wells. Um, he's a very good defensive shortstop, and it was very clear watching the game that that's kind of who he is as a player. Um, so I get wanting him there at short and having Wander on the hot corner. Um, I mean, the Rays don't really stick to any sort of baseball norms. Uh, so I get them just kind of seeing, all right, it doesn't matter where we play him. Let's put him in the spot. That's going to be, you know, best for the team, get us a win, you know, give him a chance to make some plays, not do too much. I don't know, but it worked out. Yeah, it is. It is interesting to see, uh, Taylor walls, by the way, that's who you were thinking. Thank you. Um, only because obviously third base is a very defensive position as well as short um it is slightly less so defensively valuable than short so it's interesting again this is one single game i'm not trying to make it sound like they are tarnishing his entire prospective career like any bullshit like that Uh, i'm not but it's interesting that they would move him uh, air quotes out of position for his first game in the majors um granted he has made appearances at third base um, this season um, and as well as second base. So from his baseball reference page, he had played basically nothing but shortstop from 2018 all the way through 2021. And then in 2021, he had um, 30 games at short, seven games at third and three games at second. So clearly the Rays trying to give him a little bit more time at other positions to give him the infield flexibility that they're probably very accustomed to having at this point, Um, which I guess is what I'm getting at. It's interesting to see them maintain the idea of utility. Everyone will play multiple positions when they have an opportunity to move away from that if they wanted to. Because it's not like this is um, – oh, who did they just trade away? Fuck, I had him on my fantasy team. Like Willie Adamas. Um, it's not like it's Willie Adamas who's like fine enough defensive shortstop, fine enough hitter. You know, he's not a guy you're going to build your team around. He's a guy that will play the position as well as you need him to, and then you move on. Um, this is a guy that you could probably – is being hyped up anyway that you could build your team around. And – 
obviously the Rays are a cheap, cheap team. And at this point, if Wander Franco doesn't make most of his appearances at short and only some of them at short, you have to wonder if that's an arbitration thing. If you're not putting him for the bulk of his games at short, and again, I understand it has been one game. I'm not trying to make too many assumptions, just making an observation early because of who the Rays are. Um, you'd have to wonder if not putting him at the most valuable position on the diamond, um, at least in the infield, um, why do that? So something to, I guess, I'm going to think about as uh, the Rays continue to trot him on out there. I don't like that that is a very believable scenario. Yeah, it's... It's un it's uncomfortable. Um, also because of you know like again who the Rays are. Um, yeah, it it's it's icky, but uh, obviously excited for Franco. It was super cool. He got to hit a first his home run as his first major league hit. Um, his dad was in the stands. Like there's nothing more you could possibly fucking want from uh, well for any guy coming up into the majors, especially a guy who's been touted so much. Uh, with all the hype surrounding Wander Franco, um, what do you, what would you need to see from him in a career for it to be worth the hype? I too saw this poll yesterday. Um, I think he would need to be a Hall of Famer. You think so? Yeah, I think uh, I think him and Vladdy are kind of in that boat together. Where if he ends up being a guy who doesn't make the hall of fame, but has, you know, five or six all-star appearances or a couple silver sluggers, but isn't quite enough to make the hall. I think people will say, Oh, he was, he was a great player. He was really good, but you know, Oh, could have been so much more. Yeah. I, it's so tough to tell, especially in a, in a sport like baseball. When we talk about this, um, Anytime I think the differences between like football and baseball Hall of Fame voting comes up, which comes up every now and then on the show. But, you know, we need to get into the Hall of Fame for football four, four to six seasons, depending on your position. Um, ah, maybe six, six to eight seasons, I'll say, depending on your position. What can I can get you in? Uh, like seasons total or like? No, like, like a, a good peak. Yeah, I would say like a six. Yeah, it really depends on the peak versus the rest of like if it's a, you know, an outlier type peak, it obviously would need to be a lot longer. But if it's, oh, you're really good. But, oh, this peak for like four years was just over the top. Sure. But yeah, you're you're that's fine. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, with with baseball, you can't be eligible unless you play for 10 years. And a lot of players who play for 10 years never have a peak. Um, and, you know, a lot of Hall of Famers are going to get guys who played 15 years and had a good six-year peak within the 15 seasons, which means for nine other seasons, they were, like, fine or whatever. You know, it, it, it's such a wacky sport that you have to play so much of to have an eligibility for Hall of Fame considered that it's – 
tough to look at it like a 20 year old dude and be like, I am going to predict who you are at 35. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And obviously we're judging because it's fun and none of it matters. You know, our lives are not greatly impacted. If Wander Franco becomes a nobody in six years. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I, I think too, to warrant the hall of the, the hall of fame, to warrant the hype, it'll probably have to be, um, don't, I, don't, don't believe the hype. Sorry. I had to, <laughs> I appreciate it. Keep me grounded. Public enemy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's, he's going to have to be a phenomenal player and he's going to have to be a phenomenal player for a while. Randy Rosarena was a phenomenal player for like one postseason run and look where we are now. Um, high, he is the highest ranked raised player in all-star voting. Uh, okay. That's not saying much, <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, he's 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 not a bad player. It's just like his postseason run. Everyone thought he was going to burn down all the baseball, and instead this season he has uh, 120 on OPS plus. So, you know, I, that's totally fine. That's that, that's good. It's not Gary Sanchez, but <laughs> but it's good. Uh, just saying, Gary Sanchez 127 OPS plus. Fuck a fat fucking cock. He had a 183 last year. That's pretty great. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is uh, you got to be good for longer. Um, Correct. Which, which we're never gonna. You're never gonna get. Who fucking knows? Who fucking knows from hype? So, I mean his his career average OPS plus is 134. Who Randy? Yeah. I mean he has he has three half seasons under his belt. Exactly. Like it's not not even. 19 games, 23 games, and then 69 games. Yeah, you're right. He has like an uh, an eighth of a seat. Two. He has a quarter of a. Not even a quarter. Ah, Actions. We'll he's got all together about two thirds of a season under his belt. How does he already have 1.6 OR this year? What? I guess that's not a crazy number. No, it's not crazy. It's pretty good though. I mean, it's it's. That's just no Gary Sanchez. I'm just saying. But actually, Gary Sanchez is award the season's 1.4, so Randy's better. <laughs> I'm gonna look up war leaders for this year. And see, that's what I never understand about how Baseball Reference does their war, because Gary Sanchez. Not that like, I'm like living or dying by how good or bad Gary Sanchez's war is compared to Randy Rosarena. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Um, but his OPS plus is higher, but his OR is lower. And I demand to know the discrepancy because that does not seem to track. But whatever. What do I know? Fernando Tatis has a 4.1 OR this year. That's fucking disgusting. Shut In up. 57 games. What's his DOR? 57 games. What's uh, the DOR? Hold on. Uh, fielding. Fielding. How do? Where do I find this? What am I looking for? I honestly don't know what I'm looking for here. Where do I find this? Oh, war. D war. Negative point five. Yeah. That's, that's not tough. great, but that's not. That's actually really bad. Over. Yeah. Over, well, I mean, he is season. like Mister Errors. Did, he did start the season with like an 
insane number of errors. He has 15 errors. <laughs> Ooh, boy. Ooh, buddy. What's the MLB record for errors in a season? We did this once as an episode. I think it was 27. Oh, no. Actually, that sounds low now. All right. Hold on. We're looking for it. Oh, my God. In 1889, uh, Herman Long had 122 errors. Yeah. What? It's not enough. Got to pump those numbers up. Yeah, we did this. Bill Bill Keister had 97 in 1901. That's our first 1900s season there. Let's see. How far how low down do we have to go to find a, another like modern era player? Uh 2000 had Jose Valentin had 36. Tatis is on part of so many 1800s that. players with these yeah. errors. Oh my god. Robin Yount in 1975 had 44. And that's the only one I see that's post-World War II. Yeah, dude, I'm seeing like some 1903s and 1910s, but I'm not seeing anything more recent. Jeez. Man, 1800s ballplayers just didn't know what to do. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. Um Let's see, Mark Reynolds in 2008 had 35. 2003, Aramis Ramirez had 33. I know that name. Jose Offerman had 42 for the Dodgers in 92. Dude, how are these players real? I don't know. Um, All right, so I found another relatively more modern one, a.k.a. 1936. Or Lonnie Fry had 62. Show me something post-integration for the love of God. Good. Um, I was talking Error to some records, of my coworkers about music stops. yesterday, and I sure. mentioned the meters, and they were like, who's that? And I got sad. And I was like, y'all didn't listen to the Sissy Strat? And then they didn't know what that was, and I felt like a lunatic. I was like, don't you guys listen to any Dr. John? Listen to more Louisiana funk. I don't know any of those names. You don't know Dr. John? Nope. Fuck you. Okay. All right, yeah, I like went through the entire leaderboard and didn't find anybody. Okay, I, I, I'm going to stop now. Um, I, I want to talk about Gleyber Torres. Okay, Gleyber Torres. Um, he is having a worse season than I think anybody could have possibly imagined from him. Really? It's very bad. Now, it's not in the gutter awful, but considering the ball player he should be, it's really quite not good. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk about it a bit. So... 2018-2019, Glaber's first two seasons in the league, he was an all-star both seasons, finished third place in Rookie of the Year voting his first season, and finished 17th in MVP voting his second season. Uh, 2020 came around, and it was the shortened season from COVID. Played in 42 games. Had a 103 OPS+. Plus, so, you know, the whole team 
never really felt like they kind of got going. Gleyber Torres is part of that, but a 103 OPS plus. It's tough to complain too much about that. This season, 63 games, it's down on 85. Um, he currently has three home runs and nine doubles. Um, last season in 42 games, he had three home runs and eight doubles. So the fact that he has one single more extra base hit in 21 more games, 50% more games is really concerning. Um, and it shows up in his stats. Um, this season he's batting 248, 328, 326. That's an OPS of 654 and an OPS plus of 85. Um, If you look at the underlying stats, it's not much better. Now, in the past, I've defended a lot of Gary Sanchez's bad seasons because the underlying metric shows that he's really just getting unlucky and he's knocking the shit out of the ball and just finding defenders. That is not the case with Gleyber Torres. His average exit velocity is in the sixth percentile in baseball. That means he is in the bottom 6% of all batters. So that's where percentiles work. His max exit velocity, the hardest he has hit the ball this season, is only in the 61st percentile, which doesn't even mean he's just averaging really low, um, but has the potential to hit very hard. He hasn't even done that. Um, His hard hit percent, 14th percentile. His expected weighted on base, 33rd percentile. Expected batting average, 42nd. Expected slugging, 22nd. Expected barrel percent, 18th. All those below 50%, oof. His expected is a strikeout percent, 66th percentile, but it's tough to give a shit about strikeout percent. His walk percent is 70th percentile, so at least he's still seeing pitches relatively well. His whip percent is 42nd percentile, chase rate 76th, sprint speed is 48th, and his outs above average as a shortstop is 5th percentile in baseball. It's an ugly, ugly season. And it's stuff like seeing the max exit velocity and the, the average exit velocity, the, the hard hit percent stuff. It's that type of shit that is just so uh, concerning. You know, this is his lowest hard hit percent in his career. Uh, 33.3 is his lowest by over three percentage points. Um his ex-WOBA is at its lowest point in his career. His WOBA is at its lowest point in his career. His uh, slugging is tied for the lowest of his career. I mean, it's it's really, really bad. And, man, you got to wonder what the fuck's going on with it and what the Yankees are to do because they've put a lot of stock in – Glaber Torres as a good defensive shortstop and as a good batting shortstop. And this season he is showing to really be neither of those things. Why in a very roundabout way, why, what is causing this? Like in, in, you know, you're a Yankees fan. You watch a lot of Yankees games. You know, a lot more than I do. What are you seeing? That's giving it any indication towards this i honestly couldn't even really tell you i I mean obviously one wants to sit there and say it's his 
early in the season, you could have said, well, you know, the pitchers are using the this, this sticky stuff and the whole Yankees roster isn't hitting. The approach is wrong. Um, the, the, the spin rates are out of control, causing too much movement, whatever. Um, it's tough to even really say that because the rest of the team is finding patches of where they figure it out. And it's, it's just not happening for him. And it seems as though it's the, what should be easy stuff that he's just not connecting with. So you, you, it has to be a a problem with his swing. Sneaky mute there for the cough. Um, Because if we look at, let's look at fastballs for Gleyber Torres. So in 2018, let's look at his slugging percent on fastballs or uh, look at his expected slugging just to normalize things a little bit. So in 2018, his expected slugging on fastballs was 511, which is rock solid. It is um, the best pitch you should be able to square up consistently. Um, granted, it's going to vary depending on whether it's being thrown like 103 or 96, but whatever. Sure. That's the pitch you're supposed to square up most consistently. So 511 is rock solid. Um, in 2019, his expected slugging on fastballs, three, 562. So that's even that's a nice big improvement. You love to see it. Great shit. His expected slugging on fastballs in 2020 dropped almost 100 points to 471. Now, 471 isn't awful, but that's not what you necessarily want to see out of what is supposed to be the best pitch you're going to usually get to square up on. And this season, it's down nearly another 100 points to 381. And he's seeing more fastballs this season than he's seen in his career so far. Each season, 18, 19, and 21, as a percent of total pitches he's seen, fastballs were 55.8%, 55.3%, and 55%. They were actually going down because he was hitting fastballs well. This season, it's 57.1% of the pitches he's seeing as fastballs, and he is not hitting them well. He's to the point where he's actually hitting breaking balls better than he was hitting fastballs. <clears throat> With the expected slugging of his breaking ball, um, pitches at 392 11 points higher than his fastball and to that effect he's seeing fewer breaking balls instead seeing more off speed and more fastballs and the fact that pitchers are moving away from the breaking balls to hit pitch him fastballs because he can't hit the fastball is regression at its finest i i mean it's it's startling to see, especially this late into the season. I, uh, this is one of those times where I wish I I knew more about how baseball works, so I could give like or at least understand some sort like some reasoning for what's co- what's causing this and why all of a sudden you just can't see the fastball why you just can't make contact with the fastball i just don't understand it and it's you know i don't want to you know write it off because he does have that history of of hitting them so well but it i get why you would be so concerned with a guy that the yankees have invested so much in like glaber torres and, and just to, to nail some points home here, you know, his breaking ball slugging percent, expected slugging percent, excuse me, is the second best of his career. That 392 is better than his 2020 and 2019 campaign, only being rivaled by his 2018 season. Um, 
and his expected slugging on off-speed pitches is fair. It's It was lower last season, so it's up this year. I'll put it that way. So both his breaking ball and his off-speed expected slugging percents are both up, but it's this massive drop-off in the fastball. And uh, so the idea basically being he can square up with increased regularity stuff that's coming in slower. So maybe that means that his mechanics for how long it takes him to deliver his swing is the problem because if on the slower pitches, he can get around them enough that it's not obvious that that's where he's struggling and he's walking a decent 70th percentile. It's not, it's the second best thing he does is walk only behind not chase at pitches where he's in the 76th percentile. So clearly his eyes seem to be relatively fine. Um, Mm -hmm. It, it makes it really makes you wonder if it's just that if it's his it's taking him too long to swing the bat or at least he's not as quick with it as he should be uh, yeah you know what I actually I've talked myself into that because his percent of balls put in play that are pulled is the lowest of his career 35.6 percent. Now, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but combined with the lower expected slugging, it would seem to make sense. He's hitting a, it's, it's the highest season of his career for hitting the balls straight uh, and the highest percent of hitting the balls to the opposite field. So he's spraying the balls around the field more, but with much less success. <laughs> and sounds I, funny. Yeah. And I think that might be endemic of the fact that he's not squaring balls up and getting the poles that he needs to get to have a good slugging percent and instead getting more evenly distributed, worse hit balls, which shows up in his batted ball profile. It is the highest mark of his career for weak batted ball percent, 5%. His next highest was last season at 2.8. That's a huge increase, nearly double. Um, It's his highest mark of his career for topped ball percent, um, for flare slash burner percent, um, and it's uh, the lowest mark of his career for solid contact percent and second worst season of his career for barrel ball percent. Um, And it's the lowest season of his career for uh, getting under the ball, which means he's not hitting things in the air much. Um, which shows up in his fly ball percent, which is also the lowest of his career, and the ground ball percent being the highest. Yeah, he he's he's he, this reads to me, and I understand baseball is um, it's only so much in the numbers, and I'm not the hitting guru guy. It's easier for me to look at the numbers post fact than it is um, for me to look at hitting stances and whatnot in the moment. I think most of us are probably like that as fans because if we're being honest with ourselves, we don't know anything and I don't know anything really dumb, but it reads like he's late on everything because if he was early on shit, he'd be popping them up in the air and getting underneath them. Instead, he's getting on top of everything as balls move forward. They slowly go down. That's just physics. That's gravity. Otherwise we'd all be floating in space. If only we were so lucky. What if God was one of us? (laughs) 
moon good. shoes moon shoes anyway um so how long the converse conversation that we just had with wander franco um with a prospect that was hyped up as much as Gleyber Torres, who was not as hyped up as any of the guys we had mentioned in the hype conversation, Wander, um, Harper, Vladdy, but was still for uh, Yankees farm system was very hyped up. Um, as key of a position as he played and as good as he was in his first two seasons, uh, not to play like, you know, doomsday here too much. I'm not saying the Yankees need to like sell him now because they should for Tur- Trevor story. Oh, well, honestly, that's a tough conversation, but um, I'm not going to get there with the specifics. Um, Instead, how long do you suffer through a guy who hasn't figured it out before you sell? Not hasn't figured it out, is not getting back to it. It's it's so impossible to, to answer that question like there's so much context like that's like asking like oh boy i should not have put myself on the spot without any semblance of information about where i was going um fuck me uh i'm cratering um billy hamilton i'm just gonna stop talking i'm gonna hand this over to you and just well i was i was gonna ask about billy hamilton because it's kind of like you know, Billy Hamilton got touted as um, potentially the next. Um, oh my God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill myself. What's his fucking name? All time stolen base leader. Ricky. Ricky Henderson. Jesus Christ! Thank you. Um, I was not. I said Ricky, and then in my head I was like Henderson, but then I was like also in my head. It's not. Don't say it. You could be wrong. And it's like, Henderson. but it's obviously Ricky Henderson. Gervais? <laughs> um, yeah, Ricky uh. Henderson. But yeah, the dude couldn't get on base. He came up in 2013 with the, with the Reds for 13 games and mashed. He had a 150 OPS plus in 13 games. So, you know, he had a little bit of hype on him. He had great speed on him. He came up and he hit and then proceeded to stay in Cincinnati an additional five seasons and never have his OPS plus cross 82. It went 81, 55, 77, 66, 69, and then Cincinnati let him go. And he has been really no better since then um, in the, uh, I guess, three seasons after that, his OPS plus has been 51. So clearly they made the right call there, but it took them a while to move on from Billy Hamilton. Part of that was the Reds not trying very hard those seasons um, in the latter part of those seasons. So leaving Billy Hamilton out there in center field, wasn't the worst thing that they could do um, since he was not a negative value defender. He was actually quite a good Mm -hmm. defender. So it made sense for them, but you know, eventually guys must be moved on from the point. No, hold on. I'll, I'll leave it there for a second to leave you to respond instead of continuing my rant and ramble. Oh, I don't have a response. All right. Well, the point <laughs> being is... <laughs> How are we this far into the show? Not like this show, but like the show. How are my, we uh, this far? My, my mother got a t-shirt 
of ours. Uh, shout outs to the juicing the numbers swag in the links in all the episode descriptions. Check it out. Give us your dollars. We love them. We love them and you, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, she got one of the one of our shirts for my grandfather uh, for Father's Day, and my grandfather was like, "What's this?" <laughs> and my mom was like, uh, oh, "It's Josh's show." And he was like, "You have a show?" <laughs> I was like, "Has this never come up in like almost three years?" And he was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh yeah, we've got like 250 episodes of it." He's like, "Oh shit, nice." I'm like, "Yep." Still doing it. Still here. After uh, the music's gone. Anywho. Hey, side note. I got a large Juicing the Numbers t-shirt in white for someone that no longer is around to receive the shirt. So, hey, if you want to DM me and get a free Juicing the Numbers shirt, it's all yours. All right. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah, get any yeah, DMs. Yeah. Nobody listens to this. <laughs> someone might. Someone who's large this, and in charge might want it. This will be the ultimate test if anyone listens to this fucking show. It is free if you send me a DM. Just there, there's no line. Like you just get it, and I still won't get a DM. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. Uh, point being, to loop it all the way back around. Obviously, it feels like the conversation about around Clint Frazier from a couple seasons ago, which is why would you sell a player at what is theoretically his lowest value after Clint Frazier had a rough season in pinstripes, bad defensively and bad offensively kind of like this season. But also I understand Glaber has underperformed this year. It's a question of faith and planning and logistics. And I don't think there's ever such a clear-cut answer. Obviously, when a guy shows you he can do it, and Glaber showed he could do it for two seasons, unlike Billy Hamilton's 13 games. Um, you laugh, but it's there on the stat sheet. Um, and, you know, that carries enough weight that obviously you give a guy like Glaber, who has his pedigree and his track record, more time to figure it out, and you – deal with the fact that it's frustrating to watch a guy who obviously should be better and could be better, not be as good as he could and should be. Wow. That was a tough sentence. I can't believe I did not trip over it. Um, (laughs) Brag about it. You fucking asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, at some point, if he is this guy for like four seasons, I Mm -hmm. think you go, but I, I mean, how patient can you be at one of the most important positions on the diamond? So it'll be interesting is my point. I it's, I don't think anybody who pays attention to the Yankees or is a Yankees fan should expect anything to get done at the shortstop position um, for at least the next three seasons. Just to be honest with yourself, um, unless, unless Gleyber Torres's next season is worse than this season, which I genuinely would have a hard time imagining again, given his type of play. Uh, or who he is as a player, uh, I wouldn't expect anything to happen for at least another two or three seasons. But um, I don't know. What about what would you think? You have a, you have a, you're the Yankees. You got a playoff window hypothetically. The only thing holding you back is your young, controllable shortstop. Make a trade. Depends on the offers. If nothing really blows you away, he's still young. He's still controllable. He still shows flashes of being the Glaber Torres of old. I'd say stick with him. 
if you do get something close to the value that he held at you know his peak and you're gunning for the title and it is a contention year and this is it you're going all in uh make the trade yeah it would it would be i i think maybe it would make more sense to go for oh that's a because i was gonna say maybe it makes sense for them to potentially go for like a rental you know Mm -hmm. so that way the long-term prospect of the position is still there for glaber but at the same time player mentality wise would you want to be like glaber we're gonna like back away from you for like four months but then you can have the job back is that like what you want to do to that guy probably not so no it might be better just to rip a band-aid i don't know it's it's an interesting if this was left field which the Yankees also have a problem in right now it's not it's not a big deal it just isn't it's not an important defensive position the batting there is going to be what it is. You, you like you get over it, but shortstop, right. shortstop That's carries huge. some weight. Yeah, it's, especially because for a fan's perspective, you see the shortstop in action uh, most plays. If a play is in the infield, you have a I don't know the number, but I'm going to say a rather significant chance of seeing the shortstop do something. A constant reminder that your shortstop is either good or bad, or like if yours is really good. Uh, but also has 15 errors on the season. There's no amount of errors that Fernando Tatis Jr. could commit that would make the Padres change his position, right? I guarantee you there is a number that exists, and I don't want to find out what it is. So obviously that number is greater than 10. Correct. (laughs) Um, Is it greater than 20? It is. I would think so. Matt Chapman had like 22 a few years ago. Granted, because he's very good and tries more plays than other people yeah. do, which is not Fernando's thing, but either no, way. No, no. Um, 20 is un- not unheard of, is my point. Yeah. More than 30. Yeah, Fernando Tatis has 30 errors in a season. You move him. To third or to second? Or well, to Mr. You have you have a... I think you move him to like... You move him to a corner field spot in my mind. I mean, you have a gold glover at third base in Manny Machado. Oh, it's right. Never mind. You can't put him at third. You yeah. have Jake Cronenworth, who's good enough to be a gold glover at second. You can't put him at center field because you have gold glover Trent Grisham there. You, your corner spots are your weak points. Mm, if anything, if I if I was the lord and commander of the San Diego Padres, I would probably bench Hosmer, put Cronenworth at first, and put Tatis at second if there was a universe in which Tatis was getting moved off his spot, and then put Hassan Kim at short. Agreed. Yeah, and I understand for the the Padres it sucks to have to bench a guy who's you're paying $20 million a year to, but... No, I'd rather have have Haas at first, Cronenworth at second, Kim at short, and have... Tatis in left field rather than have that be like Tommy Pham. It sucks though because Tatis looks like an infielder. He does. Like and he needs to exist in the, the brain, infield in my mind. Right. And other than the brain dead plays that he makes, he's a good fielder. He makes spectacular fielding plays. He just makes boneheaded ones too. 
how can you expect his brain to be full of fielding thoughts and hitting thoughts at the same time? It's just not fair. Uh, how can he right. imagine, totally how can right. he be thinking about where to throw ball when he think how to hit ball? Grapes of wrath. Yeah. I don't know why I'm eating these during the podcast. I really don't like, it's just such bad production. If there is food near you at any point in time as a human being, it will be consumed mindlessly. Yeah, like I just saw a pack of Mott's fruit gummies next to me and was just like, yeah, let me go to town while I'm thinking about Fernando Tatis and just just now realized, why am I doing this? I made the mistake when I first started an office job of filling a snack drawer. Um, That was a mistake because I then ate all the snacks in the snack drawer that I had figured would last me a month in about like a week. Yeah, oh yeah. I gained so much weight my first year working a desk every, job. Uh, yeah. Every year for Christmas, my parents get me one of those like big, like three pound bags of Sour Patch Kids. I, it's one of those things where it's like they did it once and I ate it so quickly. They were like, wow, he must really like those. And it's become a thing where they get it for me every year. And every year I finish it within like three, four days. And it's disgusting and I hate it. And I don't want to eat three pounds of Sour Patch Kids every Christmas, but it shows up. And I'm not going to actively choose not to eat them. It's so tough to like get candy and throw it away. Like it, it feels it, fe- it feels like such a waste. It's like I'm just gonna mm-hmm. throw I'm just gonna go to the store, buy lettuce, and then throw it in the trash after I get home. You can't just do that. I cling too much to the childhood that I no longer have that I couldn't imagine throwing away candy. That's why I'll never give up on the Jets, too. I cling so much to those childhood memories of that team being somewhat relevant. Never let go, Jack. Never let go. All night long. Um, anyway. Uh, another news. Pete Alonso is going to take part in the Home Run Derby. He announced, do you care? Kinda. Because I think it will be a nice competition. But overall, no, not really. Uh, yeah, me neither. Um, Vlad Guerrero, I think, was the one who already said he's not going to do it. Um, uh, I think so. Yeah, I I believe that's what he said. Um, which, which is, I get, yeah. it. sure. Like you practically, you should have won it last year. Got host. Yeah, you'll be back. I'm excited for show high. Pete will be, you know. He'll be the contender, or he'll be a contender. He'll be like the reigning champ. Sure, I just I don't want it to be those two. I want a full field. I want a full bracket. Uh, I think that they should go with the best power hitter at each position, and so that way you have to watch at some point some really scrawny dudes try to clap bombs and see how it goes. I want to see some real scrawny dudes clap cheeks. They should do. They should do weight divisions. So that way it's like so like a, a Billy Hamilton, D Gordon, fucking who else is really, really tiny. I would say Jose Altuve, but like he would dominate it. But but that's the thing is like you get to because I, I really want to see and I'm probably in the minority here, but I would really love to see more. You would not expect those players to do well in a home run derby people end up in the home run derby to see how they would do because it's like the old it's like the old thing about um if you showed up to mariners batting practice each row was actually very very he could hit home runs all day 
He just didn't find the value in them as a batter and leveled out his swing more because he was a, he wanted to hit base hits. That's the he style. He sure would be a bench player in this uh, era. <sighs> Suck a dick. No, he wouldn't. Dude had 3,000 hits after debuting at like almost 30. Like, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> um, I hate people who say that. The same thing goes for when people say that about like Tony Gwynn. Um, but leaving that to the side. Uh, it It's... I would like to see those players just go out and fuck it up and see how they do and then have to like advance to the next weight class or who had the winner from the weight class above them and be like, all right, um, Billy Hamilton. Now you have to go up against um, fucking Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> it's like the little itty bitty skinny guy against some monster who weighs like 300 pounds of muscle. And just Giancarlo, Giancarlo Stanton would use Billy Hamilton as his bat. I would also be down to see that. I would. I'm very excited to see that. Also, the home run derby should have a celebrity uh, addition to it. Like who? Who would who would we see in it? Uh, other athletes from other sports and um, athletic actors and musicians and shit. Like I, Chris I Evans or whichever one of the Chris's is in home run derby. That would be that'd be fun. But yeah. like Chris Evans or whichever one of the Chris's is plays in uh, Avengers with his friends um, has to go up against like Odell Beckham. And that tell me that wouldn't be fun. It'd be funny watching Chris Evans, not be able to hit a baseball. Yeah. But that works too. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. There's, there's very little downside. Seriously. Cause it's celebrities from other teams and, and, and uh, from around the, cause you know, that there's going to be people who are Disney people and not necessarily baseball people who would turn in, tune in to watch, again, whatever Chris is in the Avengers. I don't care nor know. They're all the Chris same. Evans. Okay. Not Chris Pine, not Chris Pratt, not Chris. Well, Chris Pratt is in the Avengers, but not as Captain America. Chris Pine, Chris Pine is in Star Trek. Who's the one that plays Thor? Liam Hemsworth. Is that Chris Hemsworth? Is it Chris Hemsworth? Are they all Chris? Oh my God! No, I don't know. Are we all Chris? I think it is Chris Hemsworth. I think you're totally right. Dude, Liam was too the many. one that like dated. Yeah, no, it is Chris. Dude, there's too many fucking Chris's. I don't like this. Anyway, whichever Chris feels like he wants to play, after he's done playing pretend with his friends, comes right, up in order of what comes into Google when you type in Chris. Okay. Chris Evans. Okay. Chris Paul. Okay. Chris Pratt. Got it. Chris Brown. Uh, all right. Chris D'Elia. <laughs> Ooh, is look those last two feel too related, but that's yeah. really the conversation. Yeah, it is. Chris D'Elia um, hit with child porn and exploitation lawsuit. Yep. That's that why video, they had a that video should be in the Hall of Fame somewhere. Of him realizing the snapchat thing i have real time no idea oh buddy you gotta so i'll I'll look it up after the show yeah after the the show we'll talk about it point being whichever one of the chris's from avengers would would do a home run derby i'm willing to bet that there'd be some disney slash comic book people who would tune in for that and then if you got like i i don't know man like um who would actually do it 
Devin Booker, I don't know, someone from the NBA to like tune in uh, to be in the home run derby. You get people from NBA who are like, baseball is not a real sport, tune in to see Devin Booker and like try to hit a bunch of home runs and then he does or he doesn't, doesn't matter. People from other sports just watch the baseball event. You fooled them and now you got their money. And we, uh-huh. I'd, I'd watch that shit. It'd be way more fun. Yeah. Who doesn't want to see LeBron James try to hit a home run? I do. That sounds like a blast. Are you kidding me? I want to see who make who, make LeBron James and Michael Jordan face off in a home run derby. Ultimate goat test right there. Who's the who plays and Steph Curry, uh, the intergenerational goat extraordinaire to see which basketball player was the best basketballer in a sport that's not basketball. Um George Michael and Arrested Development. Uh, actor's name. Um, I have Google, but Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah. Yeah, I want to see him do it. Actually, that would be a bla- Michael Sarah against um the guy who played McLovin. Oh no, it, no, I don't give a shit. It's McLovin. Dude's just McLovin. Let's be real here. Um, yo. that would be really funny. They should do yo. Hold on, Marvel versus DC. Home run derby. Get the actors that play the superheroes in the movies to face off in a home run derby. Okay. Like Gal Gadot's got to go up against um, uh, uh, Black Widow, uh, Scarlett Johansson. Name? Scarlett Johansson, um, the guy that plays Superman, Henry Cavill's got to go yep. up against Chris Hemsworth. Uh, ben Affleck has to go up against Chris <laughs> Pratt. Like, just send them out there. And make them suffer. And then whoever um, wins, um, I don't know, gets to donate money to charity and be the better comic book movie franchise for a day. Well, we know who's winning that. I know. That's why I said a day. Yeah. <laughs> that's my idea. MLB, you can steal it, but you also have to pay me for it. So it's not stealing. Just hire me, bitch. Um, I have lots of ideas that I will think of right before all of the meetings. Uh yeah. Corbin, you got anything else for today? No, we've been doing this for like a while. Yeah. All right. Well, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you want to follow Corwin on Twitter and send him DMs about a free shirt, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you want to follow me on Twitter and send me DMs about no free shirts, you can do so at Joshua D. Trace. If you want to uh, send us emails about random bullshit, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye. Uh-huh.